This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, May 22nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Governor Tate Reeves condemns a church fire that's being investigated as arson. And some Mississippi churches are reopening their doors this Sunday, but with some changes. Then a profile on Burl Kane, former warden of Louisiana's Angola State Prison and nominee for Mississippi's Corrections Commissioner. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Tate Reeves says he is heartbroken and furious after a church in Holly Springs was burned down from a suspected arson fire. First Pentecostal Church burned on Wednesday, about a month after it filed a lawsuit challenging city restrictions on gatherings amid the coronavirus pandemic. Yesterday, during his daily press briefing, Reeves offered support to the church and says investigators are working to figure out who's responsible. I am told that there was a message left which said, Bet you stay home now, you hypocrites. This makes me angry. This is not who we are as a people. This is not who we are as a state. Over the last several months, we have worked together to make Mississippi a better place. We have worked together to protect ourselves, to protect our families, and to protect each other. We are going to continue to do that. Now, obviously we have to ensure that this investigation is done and that it is completed. But if this is in fact what it looks like, I want you to know that we're going to do everything in our power to find whomever burned this church down. To the people who attend this church, what you and I know as Christians is that our ability to worship is not confined to any one building or any one space. We will still be able to gather in time and worship an almighty God. I am committed to that, and I know the people of Holly Springs are committed to that, and I know that the people of Mississippi are committed to that. The pastor of the church, Jerry Waldrop, said he and other church leaders have no idea who might have set the fire or left the graffiti. The church sued the city of Holly Springs in April, alleging police officers had disrupted a church Bible study and Easter service. Holly Springs City Attorney Shirley Byers said nearly 40 worshipers inside the church building were not practicing social distancing on April 10th when a citation was issued for the church. Byers said the city amended its local order in late April to allow for drive-through church services. Many houses of worship across the state have been conducting drive-through services for the past two months, some even in their homes through online services or other methods. Now, this Sunday, some churches in Mississippi are ready to reopen their doors for regular service using the new guidelines Governor Reeves outlined earlier this week in an eight-page document. Suggested changes include contactless offerings, reduced seating, and smaller choirs or soloists, 
Carlos Smith is pastor of New Zion Baptist Church in Braxton. He tells our Kobe Vance his church reopened this past Sunday using existing guidance from the CDC and State Health Department. Well, this week uh, we are doing a new thing called Eventbrite, which is an online get a ticket to go to the sanctuary and you do it through your Facebook page. And that has been a learning curve. Of course, we have some of our, you know, folks that have very little internet access and we're trying to work with them, make sure that they know how to do it. And if they need assistance, of course, we can help them uh, either through the phone or we can do it for them. As y'all begin to continue reopening, what are things going to look like for your uh, congregation? When someone shows up, there's a greeter to meet them, and uh, they have a predetermined area that they'll be sitting with their family unit. We are practicing social distancing, and so um, they'll sit with their uh, area. They come in one area. They go out the same direction. Uh, things, Little things that we've uh, had to do away with is meeting and greeting. That's just very big for a small country church. Uh, we're going to uh, not have that for a while. Uh, taking out coffee pots. People are able to bring coffee, able to bring a water, but we have taken the coffee pots out, uh, which is you know, pretty hard for people to some people to get, uh, as well as uh, looking ahead. For some time, we will not have anything like dinner on the ground, just the idea that it might cross-contaminate with other folks. What kind of strand is that putting on the church? Because I know social, like getting to be social with people is so important to a church. Absolutely. Uh, there are several people that, you know, have, you can tell, are frustrated with the fact that we don't, we're, you know, not having meet and greet. Um, other people are still concerned the fact that they think they, you know, may die if they get out. So, you know, you have both sides. Some people think it's a make-believe uh, virus, and, and of course, some people believe they can't even, make, you know, get out of their house without catching the virus, and neither one of those are really accurate. And so, as a pastor, you have to deal with both of those groups in your congregation, uh, erring on the side of safety. Uh, that is the reason we are doing everything we can before people come in, do a deep clean of the church, and then making sure that they understand that we're going to do everything we can. Uh, our greeters check to make sure uh, there's a, as a series of questions we ask them, you know, do they have a temperature of 100 degrees or higher, if they have a cough, if they've been around somebody they know that's had COVID in the last two weeks, we're asking them to continue to uh, go back home and uh, join us on our uh, virtual, which we have it on Facebook Live, uh, instead of in person. And so y'all actually were able to reopen last week. So what were things like? How was the, re how was the reception? What did people think about it? One part, they were excited because we have been out for about two months without having uh, a face-to-face -face interaction. So that's that was a, a good thing. It was certainly a good thing for me. I, I enjoyed it. Um, but it was very different. Uh, how I would describe it is very, especially for Southerners, it's difficult because uh, we do. We hug. We shake hands. Um, and, you know, that is not available right now. We are, we are going to err on the side of caution. And uh, it certainly does seem unchurchy to us, but, uh, you know, we got to remember that uh, it is important for us to meet as a body, but also to be safe 
uh, because the body of Christ, uh, Christ died for that body. And so we uh, want to make sure to do everything we can to make sure that everyone is uh, safe. Okay, well, that answers all my questions. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. You know, uh, the pastor of the church, Jerry Waldrop, said he and other church leaders have no idea who might have set the fire or left the graffiti. Uh, that's Pastor Carlos Smith, excuse me, uh, Pastor Carlos Smith of New Zion Baptist Church in Braxton. At New Horizons Church in Jackson, Bishop Ronnie Crudup, Crudup says it's been an adjustment not having Sunday service, but understands the need to keep his congregation safe. The fact that uh, the church is not there, you know, the building is empty, is a major change, major uh, reorganization of how we do things. Uh, the new order of service. Uh, streaming with a non-audience, uh, present audience has caused us to, you know, redesign how we do things. Uh, but that is getting better uh, Sunday by Sunday or week by week. And so uh, now I can say it's good. When it comes to reopening, when do y'all plan, uh, when are y'all planning to reopen your doors for in-person services? A month ago, we set a goal to have to re-enter our building on the first Sunday in July, which is July the 5th. Are y'all uh, still planning to, is, to follow through with that? That is still our projected date, uh, but we are watching uh, what others are doing and uh, we'll make a decision probably by mid-June uh, as to whether or not we will keep that date or not. And um, I wanted to ask, whenever it comes to reopening, have y'all been thinking about what things are going to look like whenever you do reopen the doors? Uh, we we put a a large committee together that uh, includes health professionals, uh, building uh, maintenance people, uh, you know, representatives from across uh, our church uh, to begin to think through the circumstance and. Uh, um, deal with, you know, CDC and state guidelines and every perceivable issue that uh, may come up. And I also wanted to ask about, um, you know, in especially here in the South, church is such a, a social thing, and everybody hugs on people. Um, you know, it's a very close-knit community when you're in a church. Um, what has it been like these past few weeks, and then possibly going into the future, not being able to have that same level of community in the church? It's a sacrifice. And I think that's an appropriate word for it. Um, it is a, it's a sacrifice because certainly for a congregation like ours where, you know, our mission statement is that we're a loving church, loving on God, loving on people, and changing communities. Um, our uh, touchy-feely aspect uh, of love is a big part of that. Uh, even though we're very compassionate and all of these other things too, but uh, touching people and embracing people was a big part of that, and so uh, we're not uh, uh, we're not able and have chosen not to do that. Uh, that is uh, something to get uh, certainly get used to for everybody. As y'all do get to come back, um, what do you think things are going to look like? Um, what would what would things look like in the church that would be different from normal? Seating arrangements, we are already uh, deploying a plan uh, of seating 
and so uh, seating will certainly be uh, be different. Uh, we we can only uh, we're thinking probably put a third of the people in our sanctuary that were there before, but we also have some other adjacent spaces, and so we're looking at overflow spaces from various a number, at least two or three other overflow places, overflow spaces, other than just a sanctuary. There will be a new normal uh, force uh, for at least uh, the next year, maybe two. That's Bishop Ronnie Crudup of New Horizons Church in Jackson speaking with MPB's Kobe Vance. Coming up, a profile on Burl Kane, former warden of Louisiana's Angola State Prison and now nominee for commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Corrections. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Malcolm White. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week we talk with visual artists, musicians, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. After a months-long national search, Governor Tate Reeves is tapping former Angola State Prison Warden Burl Kane to lead the correction or reform efforts within the Mississippi Department of Corrections. The first-term governor inherited a prison crisis that came to a fever pitch late last year as violence spread throughout the system. Reeves says he chose Kane based on his record of reform at the Louisiana prison. Kane left his position at Angola Prison in. In 2015, amid accusations of side business dealings, misspent funds, and wrongful use of staff labor. In introducing Burl Kane, his nominee for Commissioner of Corrections, Reeves said he had every confidence in his appointee to change the culture in Mississippi prisons. Maya Lau and Gordon Russell were investigative reporters with The Advocate during Kane's later years at Angola. The time that we really trained the spotlight on Burl was when, after Maya got to the paper. Um, and then we did this big investigation of this real estate deal. Um, and th- then he resigned sort of uh, under a cloud. Was that the impetus, do you think, for his resignation, your story, your investigation? Definitely. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, he even admitted that. And it was, it happened that we wrote the story at a time when we never were able to totally get to the bottom of this, but it was during the time when a new governor had just been elected, but was about to take office. And so he was making appointments for corrections secretary and so forth. Burl Kane was very close to Jimmy LeBlanc, who was the correction secretary and, and who is still the correction secretary. And it seemed like there was some kind of a deal where uh, maybe the governor said, that he would keep Jimmy, but Burl had to go. It seemed like it was wrapped up in that. When Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves announced that he was nominating Burl Kane for this position in Mississippi, he said he had no reservations about it. And Burl Kane spoke for a bit to the Mississippi media, saying that his record was clear. And that is true, is it not? He was not convicted of anything. Was he charged with a crime? Never been charged with a crime, to my knowledge. And yet your investigative piece resulted in his resignation. 
I guess um, Maya may have a better answer for this, but I would say we pretty clearly showed that he was violating corrections policy uh, specifically regarding uh, there's a policy that says you shouldn't get into business dealings with uh, relatives of inmates and that sort of thing. And he was in pretty deep with two people who were, one was the stepfather of an inmate who was trying to get, um, he was a double murderer who was trying to get a pardon and, he enlisted this guy to be a, a par- to be a partner in a real estate deal that Warden Kane was involved in, and uh, so that was sort of a clear violation of that rule. And meanwhile, he had helped to get the inmate uh, assigned to the governor's mansion, which is generally seen as kind of an on ramp to getting a pardon. Um, the inmate never got the pardon, but that uh, part of that was because the FBI began to investigate this whole thing and the inmate was then transferred back to prison. And, and it, it, as far as I know, he's still in prison. I would find it interesting if, if the governor in Mississippi read all of the stories about Burl Kane and, and still came to the conclusion that he's in the clear. Um, the, you know, federal authorities have been sniffing around Burl Kane for years, and there's a lot of his uh, business dealings that have been questioned. Um, you know, he, for a long time, has really kind of traded on his access with inmates for various, you know, business opportunities, whether it's using inmates to do prison labor. Um, you know, he at one point had some sort of deal to use inmates to scrape the labels off of cans and of expired food and then relabel them so they could be sold in other countries with more lax food regulations. I mean, there's all kinds of things that really did happen um, that are not, you know, just hypothetical things that, um, you know, he, he did never, he was never charged with a crime. But I think that I'm sure that investigators are, you know, their ears are perking up now that he's in charge of the prison system in Mississippi because um, there's just a long history of him, you know, kind of basically trying to trade off some sort of access with inmates. So Mississippians were just introduced to to Burl Kane as the new corrections commissioner. You've both voiced what you know about him and your concerns what would you like to leave Mississippi listeners with about his becoming Mississippi's corrections commissioner? Well, I guess if uh, the hopeful side of me says, and again, I don't want to say whether this is a, a wise appointment or not, but I will say that Burl King came up in a time in Louisiana when there was a lot more of this kind of um, Louisiana politics was full of a lot of self-dealing and chicanery and we had you know edwin edwards was the governor and and we it was just the political culture here was very much about uh, people kind of being entrepreneurial with their government jobs and that was so so i would i guess i would say he's somewhat of a product of his times and i guess the hopeful side of me would say he does have a lot of positive attributes and he's he's older he's 70 almost 78 years old you know, maybe he's learned a lesson from what happened uh, in Louisiana and and maybe he's, you know, he does have a lot of valuable experience. I mean, if I was a reporter there, I'd probably keep an eye on the contracts and so forth, too. Maya? 
Yeah, I, I just think, you know, people should uh, be eagle-eyed about him and about, you know, how the prison system is doing and uh, where the money is. And, you know, prisons are places where there can be a lot of money and there can be a lot of business opportunities and uh, people should just really be um, as they as they normally would be, um, you know, holding holding people in power accountable and kind of watching for what goes on. I mean, I, who knows, who knows what um, will happen. I think it'll be very an an interesting thing to watch um, just because Burl Kane is a really interesting person. Maya Lau and Gordon Russell both wrote for the advocate when Burl Kane, part of his time at Angola and then when he resigned. So I thank you both so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. Kane's nomination as Commissioner of Corrections was the result of a months-long national search that began soon after Tate Reeves assumed the governorship. He picked self-proclaimed friend and Vicksburg Mayor George Flaggs to lead the search. Flaggs shares how Burl Kane rose to the top of the candidate list despite the allegations with our Desiree Frazier. I wouldn't say controversy. This is what I say. The committee was aware there was some information out there about all the candidates I mean, most of the candidates and the committee found that the information was unfounded and was enough to distract them from going forward. And they went forward with it. Does that mean that the final six all had some issues? No, not 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 all six, but uh, some of them of the six had one of them dropped out had because of his background. But the rest of them had nothing in their background that would prohibit them from going forward. As this moves along, um, more is being found out about uh, Mr. Kane in terms of allegations of um, how he was involved in contracts and so forth. Mississippi, as you know, has a broken system. Are you concerned that the elements that have are coming out about him could overshadow what he's assigned to do to bring credibility and restoration to the state's prison system. Well, I'm always concerned about anything surrounding anybody as relates to going forward and being in a leadership position. But I can say this is that I feel confident as chairman of the committee that the committee did everything that it should have done to get the information to the governor and get the names to the governor and let the governor decide for himself out of three people. Did the governor call you once he got the names and have any input? I, I have not. T- I, did, I did not talk to the governor, nor did I talk to his staff prior to his selection. And I only knew of the selection uh, five minutes before I walked in the room. And I have absolutely no problem with that. Did you have a different person that you would have chosen if given the opportunity? No, I felt confident that it was my responsibility to represent the committee and the three people they had selected. And I walked away with uh, a confidence that either three or either of those three could, could be commissioned if the governor was to decide. And I, I have no reservation for none of the process. I have no reservation with the governor pick and i told mr kane is that if he wanted me to i would speak on behalf of his confirmation in the future as things happen at the prison to restore 
uh, integrity and to put uh, new systems in place, are you at all concerned that the allegations against Burl Kane will overshadow the work that he is doing or will do? That's if the uh, Senate me, confirms him. That, let me say this. I have enough confidence in the process in which what ultimately select the next commission that whoever the next commission will be the best commission at the time for the Department of Correction. George Flags with our Desiree Frazier. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.